Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Well, greetings this Lord's Day, the second week of Advent, in the name of Jesus Christ. Greetings. This week we remember how the world waited for the coming of the Savior, and they waited by faith. They were told that he was going to come one day, that he was going to crush the head of the serpent, but they couldn't see it. It hadn't happened yet, but they believed because God had said that it would happen, that it was going to happen. That's what faith is. Faith is living your life believing what God has said is true. Last week we talked about hope, and in the coming weeks we'll talk about joy and love. And in all four weeks we'll talk about David. I've been really enjoying my time uh, rereading and the stories of David from the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, one thing I have learned from it is that it takes faith to please God. Again and again in the life of David, he had to have faith Amen. on Israel's behalf. That's what men of God are called to do, to have faith in God. Here in Psalm 34, this is a, an occasion where David was in trouble and David had to have faith. This is a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. And he drove him away and he departed. If you remember, Abimelech was the king at that time of the Philistines. And when David was taken, uh, he acted like a crazy person. Do you guys remember this story? And he began kind of foaming at the mouth. And, they said, and the king is like, why is this crazy person around here? And of course, David was thinking fast. He knew he had to get out or he was going to be the prisoner of Abimelech for a long time. So David wrote this psalm after he came out of this situation, and he uh, highlights it with a, a different letter of the alphabet in order. He goes, you know, A, B, C, of course, in Hebrew, it's Aleph, Beth, Veth, Gamil, Daleth. It's different letters, we, we, but a lot of them are very similar to ours. He said, I will bless the Lord under the heading of A. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me out of all of my fears. They looked on him and they were lightened and their faces. They were not ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him 
out of his troubles. For the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack, and they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. For the righteous cry and the Lord hears them and he delivers them out of their troubles. For the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and he saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all of his bones, and not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, as we hear the cry and the prayer of David, who was so thankful on that day that you saved him. And Lord God, as we gather together in your presence today on this Lord's Day, that is what we joy about today, that you have redeemed us and saved us from every tribe and every people and every nation of the world, and we are your people today. Lord, your people have come to hear your voice, and we've come to be forgiven we come hungering and thirsting, and we've come to be changed. Lord, I pray today that as we would enter into your presence, that you would come here as you said that you would, and that you would touch us and change us and feed us and forgive us, O oh Lord. And we believe that you will do all these things. And as we leave this place today, we will leave different men, different women, and different children. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said... Remain standing for just a moment as I read for you my text from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And my sermon today is called David, Faith for Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 17 starting in verse 32 says this, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, for thy servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said, Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him, and I slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Let us pray. 
Lord, that's what we want. We want to go and do your bidding. And we expect you to be with us. Lord, you told your disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And by faith we do that. Knowing that there are those whose hearts you have changed. Whose ears you have opened to hear your word. And so we go. As David went that day, go. And the Lord was with him. We go. And we know that you are with us. We pray today as we hear the word of God that it would excite us. That it would, it would enlarge. It would uh, strengthen. It would plant. It would spring forth faith in our lives. That we would be men and women of faith and action and work. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said amen. amen. You may be seated. As you know, this is the week I've been telling you all day today that it is the week that we're going to focus on faith. Faith that kept our forefathers looking forward to the coming of Messiah. You can see that our young people lighted the faith candle and have helped take offering today. Friday night we had a special gathering where we talked about how Foundation Church works and all the moving parts. I wanted to get in their minds and in their hearts all of the things that... It takes to have a church and to have a group of people that you can be around and you can love and depend on and, and that God is building into something. It's a wonderful thing. It's a little mini nation, foundation, nation here that God is building. I wanted to get their mind on the parts of the church that might be in their future. If we're having a strong church here in the future, it's going to take a lot of intentional work, not only from the leaders of the church and the adult members, but work from the young people too. Amen? This is what faith does. Everybody say, faith works. Faith sees the future, not in a crystal ball or in a cryptic prophecy or a mystery, but faith sees the promises of God as a reality. It sees the future and says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. God will have His holy will. All of His enemies will be brought underneath His feet. We will have dominion over the things of this world that exalt themselves above Christ. And faith says that is the real reality. The world around us tries to create a reality that's not true. It tries to lie to us. It tries to uh, force us into a corner in timidity. And we need to stand up with our chest out. We need to stand up with our head held high and say we are the followers of King Jesus. And He is King and Lord of all the earth. You may think that you're the Lord. You might think that you have power, but you don't. Just like the uh, Hebrew children, they said, Oh, king, we can't stop you. And, Oh, king, you might be able to do things to us. You may throw us in the fiery furnace, and you can do that. But let me tell you what, if my God doesn't want you to, there'll be nothing you can do about it. My God is able to deliver me out of the fiery furnace. He was able to deliver Daniel out of the lion's den and shut the mouths of lions that day. And God is able to deliver us when we do the things that God has for us to do. Amen? Amen? Today as we look at 1 Samuel in chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, look at David's faith for Israel. The story starts in the first verse of the first chapter, which was part of our reading today. And I wanted it to be because I want you to get this story in your mind. I want you to get it in your heart. You know, as much as the actual words of Scripture speak to our hearts, the stories are meant to speak to us too. Sometimes we're thinking about it and we should think to ourselves, you know, am I a David? 
am I Saul? And those men, those pictures, the Bible says they happened unto them. It says this in the New Testament, that they happened unto them for our example, for whom the ends of the world are come upon. David, as we learned last week, had been anointed king by the prophet Samuel after God had rejected Saul from being king. Saul was still the king as far as Israel was concerned. He still sat... You can just pretend I dropped a paper. He still sat on the throne of Israel as king publicly as far as everyone else knew. But Saul was still the king. David kept humble and waited on God and was even called to serve Saul as a harp player when Saul was vexed by an evil spirit. This must have been a trying time for David knowing that he was the rightful king of Israel and he's playing the harp for the wrongful king, for the king that God had rejected. This must have been a difficult thing to do. David stayed in his humble post as a shepherd and a son serving his father and his brothers and he waited for God to exalt him to the post that he had already been given. He refused to try in his flesh to remove himself or to set himself up. He knew this was God's work. In fact, David willingly served Saul as the king of Israel for several years after his anointing. Here in verse 1, don't miss that something is happening here on this day that makes this story special. You might miss it. You know, we get into the David and the Goliath and the giant and the swords and the spears and the slings, and you miss the very beginning of the story. Here in verse 1, do not miss that they were gathered in a place called, however you pronounce it, Shoko or Shoka. And in parentheses, I have it written here or in quotations, which belongs to Judah. Everybody say, it belonged to Judah. Now, why did it belong to Judah? Everybody say, because God said it did. God had told them when you cross over Jordan and when you go into this land, I have promised this land. That's why it's called the promised land. He said, it's yours. He said, everywhere your feet go, everywhere the sole of your feet touch, it is yours. And so if God says something belongs to you, who does it belong to? It belongs to you. And I like what he said here. He said, this land belonged to Judah. So because the land belonged to Judah, Steve, could anyone stand on it and, and think that they're going to keep the people of God off of it? No. no. Impossible. Why? Because God said it belonged to them. That day the Philistines were on Israel's land. And God's word had already given them the victory. They had won before they ever started this fight. And sometimes we are already going to win and we don't know it. We already have the right to stand and claim what God has said that we can. That's what faith is. Faith is saying, by rights, this is mine. Verse 2, Saul, the men of Israel, they were gathered together and they pitched in the valley of Elah. And they set the battle in array against the Philistines. So Saul was doing his job as a king. He had won some battles before. Even though God had left him, though, he kept in the motion of the king. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, Israel on another mountain on the other side. Now, folks, this really happened. Everybody say, this story is true. But, how many of you could stand at that 
sign over there that says 316 on it and talk and have me hear you? Not too many. How many of you could stand over at the park over there? You know where the, you know, the, the park over there? How many, how many could talk and you could hear me from over there? There's a little problem in this story here. Here we have people on one mountain and another group of people on another mountain and they're talking to each other. Is that possible? Go, oh, well, don't get scared, folks. Yeah, not, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of the miracles like walking on the water, but it's a reality of the geography of this part of the land. Do you know that in Israel, which I'm going to go there, that if you stand on that mountain and you stand on the other top of the mountain, do you know that the air is such that you can speak in the sound of a talking voice and hear the people on the other mountain? Did you know this? This is something that it says here and it doesn't qualify it scientifically, but it's a fact. And you can go over there and you can stand on the mountain and find out for yourself. And people have done this. You might think, why would anyone do that? Because the Bible is true. That's why they do it. And when someone says someone stood on a mountain and they talked to another mountain, there are some people that go, you know what? That doesn't sound like it's possible. So let's go try it out. And they do it and it works. And they go, wow, God's word is true. Because you see, those mountains are still there. When the Bible talks about how mountains and rocks testify of the living God, this is one way they do. Because if you stand on that mountain and you talk, you can hear him on the other and so there went up on this mountain. So they were gathered and he was up on this mountain and this champion came out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. To me, it's an amazing thing that we live in a world with all of this internet and all of the TV and all of the cable and a movie that comes out every five minutes. But 3,000 years ago, a man with no electricity, with no internet, with nothing, you know, whatever, did something in three thousand years later almost every person on earth can tell you his name if you think that that's a coincidence you're missing something god's stories are powerful and they're the most powerful stories and why are they told and retold and why do they endure because god said they would he said the word of the lord will endure forever how many stories are written in manuscripts about isis and about dagon and about Ashtaroth and about all these gods and you don't even know about them why because their word will not endure forever they will be forgotten like the dust under their crushed statues so some say this man, it says in verse 9, his name was Goliath, and he was of a place called Gath, which is not far from Bethlehem. The Bible says his height was six cubits high and a span, and, and that's not really our measurements of today, but just to give you an idea, they have an estimate of it. They, some people say nine feet, three inches. Some people say he was over 11 feet tall. But he was somewhere about the height of the top of that window. Now, you may go, I don't know if he was really that tall. Get, get a tape measure. I, I drywall this wall. I know how high it is. Okay? That's about 10 feet tall right there. Kids, could you imagine that? Could you imagine walking up to a man that big? A man that, as we will learn here in just a moment, has a staff that is 26 feet long. And I can walk it off for you. About every step you take is about 3 feet when you're a guy my size. And so we'll step it off. So we'll say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So here we have 27 feet. 
Can you imagine a man that had a spear that long? And on the end of the spear was a 17-pound piece of metal. We were at the antique mall yesterday, and they have cannonballs of different weights. And, and Big Val and Gibb and I were trying to lift these 12-pound cannonballs. They're about 12 pounds. They're like this. You're like, oh, whoa. It's made of iron. You're thinking, you know what? If I drop that, I would lose my toe forever just if I just, if I just dropped it. Imagine it being on the end of a 26-foot-long, 27-foot-long spear. And he wore armor on his body. We'll read about it here in verse 5. He had a helmet of brass on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. If you don't know what that is, it's a jacket made of metal that's linked together in chains that if you took and you tried to take a sword, you couldn't go through. It'll stop it. But the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And the greaves of brass were upon his legs. And there was a target of brass between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing the shield went before him. So he's out there and he's got an armor bearer and he's got all this stuff on him. His protective coat weighed at least 78 pounds. And some people place the coat up to 150 pounds. Okay? How many, how many, do we, do we have a, Nathaniel, how much do you weigh? About 150 pounds? His coat weighed a Nathaniel. He's carrying a spear. He's got a helmet of brass. And we're not even got to his sword. So this is one scary dude, right? Now, regular guys, and if you, if you think these guys are sissies because they're afraid of him, you're wrong. These guys, the average height of a man is, be, you know, a normal man is between five and six feet tall, which is about my size. And this is what they would look like. It would appear like this is like a, you know, a real man. I would be like a little tiny man, right? And that's what it looked like. And so this man was terrified. There were giants who lived who were large men like that, gigantic and colossal. They were huge. Verse 8 says, He stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel, and he said, why are you come out to battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? You see, part of battle before battle was the trash talking. Uh, they would get up and they would say, Are you men or are you sissies? Do you want to climb out and do you want to fight with me or do you want to stay in your tent and sleep a little bit? And they would argue and they would, they would yell taunts at each other. But according to this story, there wasn't anybody yelling back because you don't yell back at a man that big with that kind of armor you know that it's not like you can trash talk your way out of that. If you've got to fight that guy, you better be somebody, and you better be something. And all those guys knew they weren't that. Saul was head and shoulders taller than all the rest. He was the biggest guy in Israel. And the biggest guy in Israel stayed in his tent. They were doing something a little bit better than just all-out battle, killing each other. They were saying, hey, why don't we choose two champions and we'll fight in the winner, winner take all. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then I will be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be ours. Do you think that the Philistine had any doubt he could whip any man alive? You think there was any doubt in his mind that with his 17-pound spear head and 26 you know foot long spear and his armor do you think he had any doubt that some guy was going to walk up and punch him in the face or whack him with a sword to him it was just a fun what he was basically wanting them to do is just quit give up all right we there nobody can fight me i got it 
just battle over. Let's just, let's just call it a truce, right? That's what they were hoping. Verse 11 says, When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. And you might go, well, I wouldn't have been afraid. Well, I think maybe you might. This is obviously a very, very bad situation. It's very humiliating for a nation and for these men. They mirror the ten spies who were too fearful in their history. They remembered this, no doubt. Remember the spies that went in and they said, uh, huh, we are like uh, grasshoppers in their sight. You know, we're tiny. Uh, we're like little tiny insects to them. The, the, there's no way we can take the land, right? You remember that? We can't do it. And so they're hearing this. It costs 40 years in the wilderness because of this. King Saul and his army were certainly nothing here. They did not want to imitate the spies, but they were doing it. They, they were cowards. And here they were in a country God had given them with the promise of God as their shield and their buckler. He was the Lord of hosts. And yet they, trusting in their own size and strength, knew they had no chance. And you see, Saul knew he was standing without God. God had rejected him as king. Even though he was bigger than everyone in Israel, he knew he wasn't that big. There's always somebody bigger. Eighty times, though, the giant comes out. Andy, can you imagine how demoralizing this would be? Morning and night, he comes out. He's wearing them down. And what are they doing morning and night? Every morning he gets up, he walks out and he goes, I defy the armies of Israel. Who do you think you are? Is anybody man enough? And then nobody would be man enough. And then that would be it. And then he would come out in the evening and he'd do it again. I would say after 40 days of this, morning and night, after 80 times, they were pretty humiliated. But Luke, it only took one time for David to hear it. Because you see, he was not an ordinary man. He was a man of faith. You see, they could sit there. Saul could hear it. The men of Israel could hear it over and over and over and over. David just heard it once. That's what I like about this story. Now, David, the son of an Ephraite, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. Remember, we learned about this last week. He was the youngest of all of them. He was so unimportant that when the prophet came to his house, they didn't even call him in from the field. He's just that eighth son. He's so far down the line. When his inheritance comes, he'll get nothing. He's just some little kid out there taking care of the sheep. He's nobody. The eldest sons of Jesse went and they followed Saul to the battle and the names of them. And we, here we have their names again. How many people are naming your child after them? Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. But they were the three big brothers of David. They were big enough to go to war and to be important and to be men of significance. Not David. David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. When David wasn't playing the, the, the harp for, for Saul, when he was at his palace, Saul's out to battle, so he doesn't need him to play the harp anymore. So he goes back to taking care of his sheep. He goes back of running errands for his father. The Philistine drew near that morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. 80 times he defied Israel. That is until he defied it in front of David. 
You see, David was a man of faith. He would remind Israel what faith was, what their failed king Saul had forgotten. But David was about to make them remember. And it happened on a day much like any other day in his life since it had, he had been anointed. Here David had been anointed king by Samuel that God had chosen him, but he had to go back to doing regular things because God had not chosen to make him king publicly yet. And so David did the mundane. Could you imagine knowing God had anointed you king and still doing all the normal things that you do? All right, Nathaniel, I need you to sweep the stairs. Nathaniel's one of his jobs at our house. He's good at sweeping the stairs. Okay. Hey, Gideon, I need you to load the wood rack. Val, can you help him out with that, right? Now, people don't like to do that kind of thing. They don't, you know, important people don't want to have to condescend to mundane work. But here we have a man anointed by God to be king of Israel, and he's taking care of sheep. He's doing errands for his dad, and he's in the mundane. Now, don't miss this because it's in this work that seems so unimportant that the most important thing that had ever happened to his life up until now was going to happen. If he had not done those things, he wouldn't have been there to hear the giant. He was a shuttle for his father to his older brothers who were in the military. And here on this errand, he encounters the brash Goliath. Now let's see how he responded. And ask yourself this. Do you think he's going to respond like Saul? What do you think? Think he's going to be like Saul? I think some of you know the story already. Is he going to respond the way his brothers did? These were men who trusted in themselves. Men who have faith in God aren't afraid. And they're not not afraid because of themselves. It's because they believe that God is with them. Jesse said to David his son, Take now for thy brethren an epath of parched corn. I'll stop right here. There is no corn in Israel. Anytime you read corn in the Bible, that doesn't mean corn. I'm not particularly sure why the translators did that. Corn is from the United States of America. But corn is a universal term for food. And in this case, it is grain. So he has about a 100-pound bag of grain to make bread with. He has him take 10 loaves of bread, and he has him take 10 cheeses. And he has them take the, the cheeses to the captain of the men who was over a thousand. He was kind of like saying, you know, maybe you'll be nice to my sons. I'll give you these 10 cheeses, you know. And then he takes the bread and he takes the grain and he takes it to his sons. And so he's, he's smart. You know, you, you want to be friends with the guy who's in charge of who gets to run into the hotness of the battle. So, je so he did. 10 loaves of bread, 100 pounds of wheat. So obviously he had a cart. It tells us later that he takes a cart, maybe some animal to take the cart with. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. And David rose up in the morning and he left the sheep with the keeper. And he took and he went and Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench to the host that was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle array against the army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper. And he ran to the army and he came and saluted his brethren. So he's on this normal thing, this normal errand is dad. He's got cheese and bread and, and he's got this bag that he's, that he's brought full of grain and he's doing this normal everyday mundane thing. He's being faithful in it. And as he talked with him, behold, there came up a champion, the Philistine named Goliath out of the armies and he spake according to these words. 
And here, so everybody say, and, and I love this last line in verse 23, and David heard him. This is, this is where the bomb drops, okay? He'd been saying it and Saul had heard him. That's one thing. He'd been saying it and Saul's brother, you know, David's brothers had heard him. He'd been saying it and all the people had heard him. But I love the end of verse 23. It says, and when he came up this time, David heard him. Because that makes all the difference in this story. Had David not heard the giant on that day, this would be a different story. David heard him. King Saul had heard him 80 times or so. David's brothers heard him too. What did they do? They cowered in fear. They did nothing. That's what people do who walk in their own strength. And sometimes when something defies them and defies God, they do nothing about it because they know they can't do anything. But that's not what men of faith do. Men of faith work. Everybody say, men of faith work. Men of faith work doing things that appear to be too hard for them to do. Why do they do that? They do it because they don't believe in their own strength. They believe in the strength of God that sends people out. A man that works and waits for every opportunity to obey God and live in his definition of reality. That's what a man of faith is. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled and they were afraid. All of them did, but not David. The men of Israel said, have you seen this guy? I mean, because that's what we do. We walk by what? I mean, if he had just heard him, David hears him, but he's like, you haven't seen him. You, you may have heard him, but you haven't seen him. I heard there's this guy and he thinks he's something. Yeah, but he is. You should see him. You know, do you see what I mean? Right? It wasn't just that he heard him. David didn't even have to see him. All he had to do was hear him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, I believe these stories, these details are there. When they saw him, they fled. They heard him and they thought, maybe I'm tough enough. They saw him and they're like, I'm not tough enough. That's what you would say. You go, okay, I think I'm going to walk the other way. Have you seen this man? They asked. Surely he's come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. I think these men, honestly, I think they were saying, anybody that can kill this guy is going to have good things happen to him. Have you seen him? And David, saw, David was there, and he said, what? What did you just say? And I love it the way David changes what they said. First, they're like, he's this big guy. He's incredible. You won't believe what will be done for him. But that's, David repeats the story back, but he doesn't repeat it back like it was told. David doesn't parrot back the words that he heard. Listen, I'll read it for you. David spoke to the men and he said, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Had they been talking about any reproach, honey? No, they weren't talking about that. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Is that what they had said? He's defying the armies of the living God. No, they didn't say that. Did they say this man was reproaching Israel? No, they just said he was really big. And whatever happened to him, good things were going to happen to the guy that kills him. David doesn't parrot this back. He replies and he replays the scene of Goliath's defiance in a way that he saw it. He did not care that killing the man was an opportunity of advancement for himself. He saw it as a way to remove the reproach from Israel because he loved it. And then he takes it further. He did not repeat the words about how big he was. 
He didn't talk about how much his spear, how long it was, and how much his... He didn't say any of that. He just calls him an uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the what God? The living God. The living God. You see, the Philistines worshipped a God named Dagon. You guys know about Dagon? The God of grain. David was carrying grain in a bag. And he knew that this bag of grain could no more defy God than he could, right? The God of grain, the God of, some people say he was a fish God, there's all these things, but whatever he was, he wasn't, he wasn't alive. In fact, David knew a story you might have forgotten about Dagon. You see, David, like these men, could hardly have forgotten what happened when the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant from the children of Israel about ten chapters earlier in the book of 1 Samuel. I have no doubt David knew this story. You see, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they stole it from Israel and they went and they took it to Dagon's house where they worshipped Dagon and they put it inside of the temple there. And there's a big statue of Dagon in there. And when they put the Ark of the Covenant in there, they come back the next day. And the Dagon statue is laying on the floor like this. Face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Not in front of God, but in front of a golden box that God calls blessed. If God had been there, Dagon would have been powder. But just a golden box that God blessed. And Dagon is worshiping. So the, the priests of Dagon go, this is kind of embarrassing. And so they set the, the thing back up. And they're like, maybe there was an earthquake in the middle of the night. Maybe someone knocked him over. I'm not really sure what happened. And just so they would know that it wasn't an accident, the next day Dagon is face down again, but his head is cut off and his hands are cut off and they're neatly set on the threshold of the temple so that you can't get in the temple without going past his severed head and his severed hands. And the stump of his body is laying facing the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know that changed Dagon worship forever? Do you know after that, the people that worship Dagon would never even step on the threshold of the temple going in? Because the head and hand, they were so stupid. Now the threshold is holy because its head and hands were here. They had to glue them back on. Men are idiots. Your God needs help. He needs glued back together. Humpty Dumpty, right? <laughs> David is like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I was carrying a bag of grain when I came in here. He's the God of grain? I grow grain. I throw it over my shoulder. I grind it up. I eat it. He's the God who's named after grain? He's the God of nobody? He's the God that they worship whose hands and head were cut off by God and put on the threshold to mock Him? And you're afraid of Him? Can you see what's happening to David? You see, he looks at the word of God and he sees a different reality. Everyone looks at the, the, at the situation before him and they see a big man. They see something that they can't conquer. And David goes, who does he think he is? Because Goliath is tall, but he's not that tall. It's like the people that built the tower to reach God. Like they can pull him down. He that sits in the heavens does what? He laughs. Oh, really? They're going to build a really, really big, tall tower and come and get me. He that sits the heavens laughs. He mocks them. And they're all like, look how big he is, God. And God's like, really? I spoke and the sun 
which is 93 million miles away from you and can still warm you and will never go out. I made that the spoken word. I'm supposed to be afraid of a 10-foot tall guy. But he's really big, God. He's got a really long sword. He's got a, a helmet on, really. I could kill him with a pebble. So the people and said, so shall it be done. And, and Eliab, his oldest brother, he does what people do to people of faith. David, you don't have zeal for God. You're just a kid who wants to get in. You want to come down here and you want to watch the war and you want to act like you're big stuff. But you're not. And I know what you're really like. You know, the devil will use your older brother's to make you not have faith to do what you ought to do. You, you know what? You shouldn't do that. Your older brothers might say, like they did here, you, you can't do that. And you go, well, why not? Sometimes big brothers can make little brothers feel pretty insignificant. I have a big brother, so I can say that. Eliab said, he was mad at David. Why did you come down here? Why have you left those few sheep? I mean... Doesn't this kind of sound like a brother? Come on, guys. All right, I won't look. Those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your pride, the naughtiness of your heart. You've come down that you might watch the fight. You're not even going to get in it. And David said, what have I done now? I mean, that sounds like something I've heard, you know, over and over and over in domestic discussion. What did I do now? What did I do now? And then David says this thing that we should, should ring in our mind for the rest of our lives. Is there not a cause? Because you see, David knew they were on Judah's land. David knew they were defying the armies of the living God. That the Philistines, as big as they were, and as tough as they were, and as mean as they were, they were no match for God. God had already said they couldn't stand before them. God knew, David understood that when God takes one man against the whole world, that that man has a majority. Faith is understanding that acting on that knowledge, faith is not bravery, it is certainty in God that what he has said, God has said no one could stand before Israel, and David believed it. He turned from him to another, and he said to, to the other, he said, and the people answered him, just like the other guy said, he said, when these words which David spoke, they rehearsed them before Saul. David is like, we need to do something. Someone needs to do this. Is there not a cause worth fighting for? So you know what David does? And I love this because this is what man of faith does. Does David just go do whatever he does or does he go to his leader? Everybody say, he goes to his leader. David went to his leader and he made his case. This is what men and women of faith do. They obey God by submitting to the rule that God has placed over them. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, for thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to do this. So even though he, his leader is telling him he's not able to, he's not being disrespectful, he's going to try to make his case even better. He said, You're, you're young, and, and this man has been fighting ever since he was young. Not only is he huge, but he's a man of war. You can't fight this guy. And the Bible tells us that Saul loved David at this time. He just, you know, he knew who he was. 
But David doesn't give up. He doesn't say, well, you're an idiot, Saul. I'm going to do what I want. No, no. He makes his case further to his leader. David said, thy servant kept thy father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock. Now, you know, I've seen on these nature channels where uh, a grizzly bear will attack uh, a deer, and he's got it, or a, an elk or whatever, and then next thing you know, there's a wolverine or uh, a pack of wolves, and they fight over it. And really, as I read this, I hear this kind of a thing happening. I tried to, I tried to look at the original. I tried to find out, is these, are these two separate things? But no, this is a situation where David is dealing with a bear and a lion. At the same time, it appears to me. I tried every way in the world to find that maybe these were two cases, but it's not. It sounds like in both cases, maybe the lion had grabbed the sheep and maybe the bear was trying to rip it out. There was a battle going on and David laid down his life and he was doing his duty in this mundane work and God was with him. He said, I went out after him, I smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. You see, experienced men of faith remember what God has done and they begin to expect God to do what he has done and they begin to believe that God will do even greater things. I've experienced this as I've grown. There were times when I didn't have faith to do this little thing. And now when big things come before me, I go, well, yeah, of course he's going to do that. I've seen in my life going, I don't know if we could adopt a child. And now we, I see us do it and then we adopt a second one. Because the first one I saw God do it and so I saw God do it again. And then when you see needs that come before you, you don't look at them and say, you can't do anything. You look at them and you go, look what God can do. Is there not a cause? And what I think God is trying to deal with us today is when we see something that needs to be done that looks like we can't do it, we should ask ourselves, is it not worth trying? Amen? Amen. That's what I'm hoping our young people are going to do. They're not going to go and go, well, you know, I can't do all that. I can't be like this person. I can't be like Elder Cusel. I can't be like Elder Robinette. I can't be like one of these older guys. You young people should be saying, by the help of God, I can do great things. Not because I'm great, but because I serve a great God. Right. Folks, if we operated like we were a little church that couldn't do anything, then we wouldn't. But we do a lot here at this little church. Men's faith who see God do great victories in their lives. Men's faith grow with every victory. David had killed a lion and a bear. He had willingly laid down his life for his sheep. He had not run when the lion came to bear or the bear, but he took his job seriously. He stood against them. It was this case that he had saved his father's sheep, but now God was going to do something. He wasn't just going to save some sheep. He was going to save an entire army. Do you know God's Word says that he that are faithful in small things shall be made ruler over what? Over many. And God had saw that he was faithful to the sheep that he had been given. Young people, are you faithful to the thing God's given you in your home? that your parents have trusted you with? Are you faithful in taking care of your room? Are you faithful in taking care of, our, of your home, of our home, of your home? These are the mundane things, but men of faith are men who do what they are giving to do, and they see it, whether it's fighting Goliath or whether it's loading the wood rack. This is what I've been given to do. And because he was doing that, this came. That's what happened here and what God did with David. He had the faith that he saw God as the reason for his success when he killed the lion. 
He saw God for his reason for success. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's one of the first scriptures I have Benita memorize. In all thy ways do what? In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And David said it was God who was with me when I killed the lion. He didn't say I was tough enough to kill the lion. He said God was with me that day. David was consumed with the zeal and his love for God and he was willing to lay down his life. David had faith for Israel that day and he said to Saul in verse 36, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. See that he has defied the armies of the living God. Can you hear the voice pumping up in his voice? The zeal pumping up in his voice? David said moreover, and he gets now he's getting excited. If you want to get excited, you should read it. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine this day. And David uh, excites even Saul. And so Saul says, well, then go. And the Lord be with thee. And Saul tried to put his armor on David. And David said, no, I, I, I don't need this. I can't wear it. I haven't learned how to use all of these armaments. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go with what I had that day. God was with me with the lion and the bear. I'm just going to go like that. He took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones out of a brook and they put him in a bag, a shepherd's bag. You see, it reminds you who he is. Here he is, this little shepherd and the stones that he's going to kill Goliath with. He puts it in his shepherd's bag. The devil would say, you're just a shepherd. And you say, you know what? God doesn't need anything more than that because he's the great shepherd. Amen? He had a little scrip and his sling was in his hand and he, he drew near the Philistines. Do you know, it even mentions here that you know, David had his little scrip. He had, a little, he had a little bit of the Bible with him or maybe he had something he had written for God in this little shepherd's bag with his stones. David came on and he drew near to the man that bare the shield. So the man that's bearing Goliath's shield, he's here and David walks past him like he's nobody. I bet you the shield bearer was bigger than David and tougher than David. And David walks past him. He drew near to him. Philistine looked out and he saw David and he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said, David, am I a dog that thou comes to me with a staff? And the Philistine cursed him. Cursed David by his gods. How do you think David felt about that? You know, your curses really don't mean anything. Your gods are nobody. They were laying face down with their head and hands broke off. You uncircumcised Philistine, you bunch of ignorant people here. Don't you know that I serve the living God? The Philistine says to David, come to me and I will give thee thy flesh unto the fowls of the air. You see, the enemy loves to trash talk. He loves to talk about what he's going to do to you. So David said, you come to me with a sword. You come to me with a spear. You come to me with a shield. But how do I come? He doesn't say, I, I, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He doesn't name his weapons. He doesn't talk about his strength. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Amen. Don't miss the Lord of hosts. That means the captain of all of the armies of God. He understood who was with him.
He said, I come to you, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day God will deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you, and I will take your head, and I will cut it off, and I will give your carcasses to the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. Was he going, I'm tough, and I'm tougher than you? And you? No, he's saying, God's tougher than you, buddy. All the assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with a sword. He doesn't save with a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David doesn't sound like he's afraid to me. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh. So now the giant gets up, and the giant's walking toward him. And you know what David does? He, he, he goes, oh, look how big he is when he gets up. No. You know what David does when he gets up, Jeff? It says David starts running. Like, could, if I was the giant, I would be scared now. David doesn't go, you know, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to stay distance. No, no, no. David starts running at Goliath. Wow. It came to pass when the Philistine arose that David drew nigh to him and that David hastened. And he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David, while he's running, can you imagine it? He puts his hand in his bag and he grabs his sling. He's going, I'm going to get this guy. And he's running at him and he's got a sling in his hand. And, he, and as I was reading this, I began to think of him. I bet when he was running, I can imagine that he was singing. I can imagine that he was running. When you run, you get, in a, you get in a rhythm. I can imagine him just going, you defy the armies of the living God, but I'm going to come to you. And he's running and he's singing and he's pulling the sling and he's swirling and he's running. And, and I bet you the giant's eyes are getting bigger. Like, what is this little kid think he's going to do to me? He was bewildered. And this is some King James language. He slang that stone. He slang it. And he smote the Philistine in his forehead so that it sank. And the giant does something that I think that God was picturing here from the story of Dagon. What does he do? He falls flat on his face. Boom! Those Philistines are probably going, oh my God. Literally. That looks like Dagon. And David says, oh, he's going to look a little bit more like Dagon here in a minute. And so David goes and he gets up on top of them. And he's standing up on the Philistine. Can you imagine this? He's standing on top of the Philistine like, yeah! But he doesn't have a sword. So he goes and he grabs a sword that's probably even a little too big for him. And he makes Philistine look like Dagon. He cuts his head off. Now that's pretty gruesome stuff, right? David takes the time to roll this Goliath around and take off his armor. And he gathers all of it up. And he puts it in his tent. Do you know Israel kept that for years? And some people believe that armor of Goliath is in Ireland. That it came years ago to Ireland. We'll talk about that later maybe in a podcast because it's kind of fun. But what was David doing? He was showing them. You defy the armies of the living God. You put the Ark of the Covenant 
in there with a God that's just made of stone or wood or whatever he was made of. And he's nothing and he's nobody compared to my God. That's what men of faith see. They see the reality that those around them that sing powerful and important and big and impossible with God, all things are. Yeah. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and, he, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in his hand. So he ran, stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and, and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they ran. And then Saul got excited. You see, men of faith end up leading other men because when they see what God will do, they then begin to believe that God will do it for them too. That's another reason to be a man of faith. And you know, Saul went and they killed thousands of Philistines that day. You remember there was a song about it. Saul killed his thousands. But we're not going to talk about the rest of the song today. Saul that day did kill his thousands. Saul, man of faith. This is a sad thing and I'll add, I'll add this in here. Saul was a man who had faith in himself. Later on, he would die by the hand of the Philistines. Do you guys remember this? And they would cut off Saul's head. And they would come and they would bring it and they would put it in the temple of Dagon. Saul, David's mighty men came and they took Saul's body and returned it. But the head of Saul stayed in the temple of Dagon. I don't want to be a man who has faith in myself because men who have faith in themselves, they don't do great things for God. How many here want to be a man or a woman of faith? I do. So the question is, what God, what causes or what cause has God put before you? Are you being faithful in the mundane things that you've been given to do? If not, don't expect to kill lions and bears and don't expect to kill giants in the land. Today, let us see the world through the eyes of God's word and be men of faith. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that the story of David's faith would be an example to us. His zeal for you, his, not his self-confidence, but his confidence in you. May it inspire us today. May we see David running and skipping and running toward danger with the zeal and the faith that that land belonged to Judah, that that victory belonged to God, the living God. May we see the enemies round about us in the same way, no matter how big they are, no matter how formidable they seem, may we see them for who they are. They serve a God who cannot answer them, a God who cannot come and help them, but we serve a God who will always hear us who will never leave us or forsake us, but will always come to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.